0: immersive audio podcast in conversations with industry thought leaders practitioners artists academics and entrepreneurs discussing all aspects of this rapidly evolving industry from art science and business to practical insights and project case studies we aim to inform educate explore and unite the community
1: This episode is sponsored by Innovate Audio. Innovate Audio offers a range of software-based spatial audio processing tools. Their latest product, PanLab Console, is a Mac OS application that adds 3D spatial audio rendering capabilities to live audio mixing consoles, including popular models from Yamaha, Midas and Behringer. This means you can achieve an object-based audio workflow utilizing the hardware you already own. Use the code Immersive zero for twenty percent discount on all PanLab licenses. To find out more, visit InnovateAudio.co.uk. Hello and welcome to the immersive audio podcast, episode ninety-three. With me, your host Oliver Cadell and Monica Bowles. Hi, Monica.
2: Hello, Oliver.
1: How are you doing today?
2: I'm doing good. How about yourself?
1: I'm not too bad. Uh, very busy month. Lots going on. We'll save all that for another time. Well, let's look at a couple of news items and for a good measure. And um, I believe you have a, a new plugin to talk about, Monica.
2: Yeah. So if people remember, we had Kasson Crooker on previously. Um, he works at THX and was talking a bit about his spatial creator plugin that he was working on creating. And it is now available to the public. So it pretty much allows you to create virtual spaces um, to give you kind of different experiences of like where you're listening to uh, your content in. And you can, you know, create different motion effects and things like that. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, again, he talked a lot about it. If you would like to revisit that episode, it's episode 72. um, And you can learn more about what the development behind that plugin was like. So I think they have a 30-day free demo for people to try it out and see how it works for them.
1: Perfect. Thanks, Monica. Um, I want to talk about collaboration between Meta and ray Bands. The reason why it didn't receive as much coverage in kind of a now circle because it's a device that isn't for professional use, although some people might argue, especially people who create content for social media, YouTube, and I kind of wanted to unpack that a little bit. So obviously, it's just a really smart pair of glasses. Everybody have seen Ray-Ban glasses. It has cameras in it. You can record content from first person's perspective. Um, you can instantly upload it onto your social media channels. But it also has uh, multiple microphones capture audio and he claims that it has directional audio for the end user which is nice because if there is any content that was made with this device then can be uh, played back and the the people who follow that person on social media subsequently will be able to appreciate spatial audio through their mobile device or something like that. I don't think there is any strong focus on this being for professional content creators, although like I said, I should be careful how I phrase it because, you know, there are loads of people who uh, do make a living from this style of content. So what's your take on it? Do you think that it's just a funky device, the fun to use, and maybe there'll be occasional influencer who take advantage of that to spice up the content or do you think there's more to it? And like Bose, maybe there's a future for more sophisticated content production options that obviously needs to be supported with additional uh, platform integration and functionality in the end. Our guest today, Jorgen Herrer. Jürgen is a chief executive scientist for audio and multimedia fields at Fraunhofer Institute with an extensive career spanning across decades. Hello, Jürgen, and welcome to the podcast.
3: Hello, Oliver. Hello, Monica. Pleasure to be here.
1: Let's dive in right away. Please tell us more about your extensive background Yeah, and if you could maybe touch on, on your impressive portfolio of projects and things you worked on over the years, in a, probably in a
3: chronological order, as you see fit. Well, Oliver, um, thank you for <laughs> uh, kicking this off. Um, I originally uh, studied electrical engineering at Alain University. When I finished my, well, it was called diploma engineer rather than master's at that point in time, uh, then I joined um, Fraunhofer IIS in 1989. At that time, I had worked in my master's thesis on testing of on integrated circuits. and uh, But then I noticed that at this institute, uh, a very nice project was going on, which was supposed to deliver an audio coder for a future digital audio broadcasting system. And I figured out that Wow, that's a kind of technical way of approaching my love for music. Um, yes. and 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 so I joined this project. And after a few years of very, very, very intense work in a wonderful team, I found myself as one of the co-developers of what we know as m p three today. so mpic one, audio, layer three. and um, that that was the start of it. So we got into perceptual audio coding and it was groundbreaking what we could do at that point in time. And from that point on, there were many other generations of audio coding projects followed. There was things like advanced audio coding, AAC, that is everywhere as well today. Um, five years later, then there are other generations of audio codecs, um, the high efficiency AAC, big 4 uh, then there came many parametric audio codecs. Um, then came, uh, they were all starting with Stereo, but then there came multi channel, parametric multi channel, unified speech and audio coding, MPEG agent well, now we're currently at MPEG I immersive audio. And uh, so that's been a long journey, and it, it was a pretty fascinating journey because um, over time I really uh, learned about hey, what is it about, how can you get the signal small? And you cannot do that without really knowing what audio is about and how we perceive audio and how human perception works for that. So you could say that I have quite a bit of a background in in terms of audio coding and perceptual audio coding, and it got more in in terms of number of channels and immersiveness and, yes, generally immersion. Excellent.
1: Before we dive into today's hot topic, Jorgen, can you give us a short crash course, essentially, on fields of low bit rate, audio coding, perceptual audio coding, spatial audio coding, parametric audio, object coding, perceptual signal processing, and semantic audio processing? I I know it sounds crazy that um, we're trying to condense so many things in uh, essentially a short conversation, But uh, I believe uh, we might need a little bit of a context in order to better understand these essential components that you're going to speak about later.
3: Well, uh, Oliver, that's really a big bag of technologies, but I'll try to do my best of um, sort of uh, getting us through that in a nutshell.
1: It's a lecture. It's, It's not a podcast. It's a lecture, essentially. Yeah.
3: It's a lecture. Let's say it's a lecture, and I'm lecturing at Erlang University uh, audio coding course. So almost like lecturing. Um, well, let's start with the beginnings. So uh, low bitrate audio coding is quite clear. You try to um, represent audio data uh, in a way that is very compact to make it as small as possible, while at the same time maintaining uh, audio quality as much as possible. Now in the in the very high-quality way of doing things. It could be lossless audio coding. That means that's almost like zipping an audio file, except that a zip program would not do a job for audio uh, files. But it means that you would uh, represent audio more compactly without losing any information. So from a zip program, you would, of course, expect that it unzips the entire content and the original uh, would be identical to the unzipped version. So that is what we call redundancy removal. And that is one of the uh, sort of fundamentals of audio coding. You do that, it's a mathematical operation. But if you do that and you apply it to, say, audio under normal, regular, mostly used conditions, that is CD sampling rate and word length, you would find out that the factor you can achieve for saving is just a two-to-one compression. And that is, of course, not enough for most applications, um, including streaming over internet, mobile uh, transmission, and so on, what have you. So we need more compression. Now, if you uh, introduce more compression, you also need to lose some information. And uh, that is where perceptual audio coding comes in. Perceptual audio coding benefits from knowing what exactly the ways are in which the human auditory system works. So uh, the human auditory system, and I'm not intentionally not saying the human ears because that's just the outermost part, um, the human auditory system is a very complex kind of receiver and um, it is very, very sensitive and uh, very demanding in some aspects. In other aspects, it's rather course in what it perceives. And so the key for perceptual audio coding is to know at what point in time and frequency um, the auditory system is how sensitive. And using that, exploiting that, you can make sure that the error that you have to make when you turn down bitrate is rendered inaudible. So um, people talk about masking thresholds, People talk about masking over time and over frequency. And there's also a spatial dimension to masking. Masking is something that um, sounds a bit uh, like black magic, but in fact, everyone knows it from daily life. If you say, that's my favorite example, I'm always citing in the lecture. If you walk around uh, a road on on the countryside, you can hear the birds chirping. They are not chirping very loud, but you can hear them and that's great. But at the very moment a truck passes by, you would not hear them any longer. And that's simply masking. Masking is um, the inability to detect or hear something, perceive something in the presence of another stronger masker, another strong sound, which is close in time or f- and frequency. So um, perceptual audio coders uh, hide the error they make by shaping the error such that it is well hidden in time in frequency and maybe even spatial dim- dimensions. And uh, that makes a huge difference. All of a sudden, it's not just a two-to-one compression that you can achieve, but you can have 10-to-one, 20-to-one with new technologies and more without any noticeable uh, quality difference. And that is a, a big, big step forward. And of course, one would not only uh, compress a mono data stream or a mono waveform, but we all have at least stereo in our homes. So when you start um, compressing stereo, you'll soon notice that, yes, there are dependencies between what you have in between the left channel and the right channel, and you can exploit them like redundancy. But um, uh, there's also more in terms of effect that you have to cover because when you experiment with, coding the left channel of uh, of a stereo signal and the right channel of a stereo signal independently, you'll soon notice that does not sound right. So two good monocoders do not make a but good stereo coder. So there's more to that and it's, this is about spatial audio coding and um, that's the next dimension where you have to take care of that masking is also considered across the spatial domain, not only within a channel. And by the way, all the things that I've been talking about um, that is exploiting where the auditory system is more sensitive and where not, this is what we call irrelevance reduction. Sort of that's the second um, fundamental that together with redundancy removal makes good audio coders. So much for spatial audio coding. So that can be done between many channels, like the channels of a multi channel. Um, material but we've also been talking about parametric audio coding and what is that? Parametric audio coding is a way of coding the audio signal in an extremely compact way where uh, we actually allow deviations from the original waveform uh, but we try to approximate the signal um, in a way that can be described by very few numbers that control a kind of model. And these are called parameters, and therefore the name is parametric audio coding. So parametric audio coding techniques are usually the kind of techniques which you can use for audio coding, and uh, they would save a lot of bits, and they would result, if they're well made, in some near-perfect sound, just almost perfect, but not totally perfect. Then you've been mentioning object coding that is another very interesting development of the recent years. So usually we are used to having music signals delivered in channels, left channel, right channel of a stereo signal, or the left, center, right, left surround, right surround, and maybe an LFE channel for simple multi-channel. Um, but in reality, what we're doing to get there is that in a studio, We're having many single input tracks. Um, We position them independently in a mixing desk. We are down mixing them into this stereo image, which we are all distributing then by streaming or on CD. And uh, so uh, the individual instruments, the voice, and and all these kinds of um, raw sources, they are already rendered and, and flattened out in this total mix. Now, object coding... Um, goes stops there and says wait a second Um, it is much nicer to deliver these single objects and the single sound components from um, the the producer to the user and the user can then uh, actually decode each single one of them and can have of course the full mix as we are used to it but we can also sort of then reposition sources spatially. We can then interact with the sources so we can make the guitar louder, the voice uh, mute. So if we want to sing along for karaoke reasons and things like that, so there's a lot of interactive things that we can do with audio. And that all is provided by object-based audio where we're able to transmit all the individual sound components together with a description of how they can be put together into an overall audio scene or audio mix. You have been also hinting about perceptual signal processing. I would say that is just signal processing that is aware of perception. So in other words, I can do many things um, as as a DSP engineer or algorithm developer that alter the signal in certain ways. Um, But usually I would be surprised how that sounds if I would not know what kind of cues, what kind of aspects are important for the human auditory system. Is it uh, about timbre? Is it about spatial uh, kind of um, image? Is it about uh, modulation in the signal and things like that? And so uh, perception is always a good companion for signal processing in in my signal processing view of the world. And semantic audio coding means... um, or semantic audio processing means actually that you're not so much looking only at low level kind of representations of the audio signal, like samples or the next higher representation would be frequency lines, spectral uh, components. But you look at what is the meaning of the audio signal, uh, what notes are there present, what instruments are those. And um, with those, In mind, you can even manipulate certain things in in the signal in a way that they are meaningful for to the human. So I I think we as humans do not really understand the meaning. Single sample or a single DFT line. We're used to think and and perceive in terms of instruments, notes, maybe harmonics, (laughs) something like that. So I hope that uh, wraps up things reasonably shortly. Okay, let's take a break for our sponsor and hear from Dan from
1: Innovate Audio talking about their PanLab console setup.
4: Hi, it's Dan Higgett here from Innovate Audio and I'm here to spread the word about PanLab Console. So PanLab Console is our software-based spatial audio imaging solution that adds spatial audio rendering capabilities to a range of live audio mixing consoles. We want you to be up and running with spatial audio in under five minutes, utilizing the hardware that you already own. So I'm sitting in front of the software and this is the setup process. First of all, I just need to select the type of console that I want to connect to, enter an IP address, and we're connected. Essentially what we're doing is spatializing console input channels onto console output channels. So first of all, we need to add some sources and they're gonna be linked to console input channels. And then we add some speakers and they're gonna be linked to console output channels. It's a simple process of dragging and dropping these objects onto the panner and our algorithm does the rest. You can find out more about all of this at innovateaudio.co.uk. If you're interested in buying a license, we actually have a deal going for immersive audio podcast listeners. You can use code IMMERSIVE20, that's I-M-M-E-R-S-I-V-E20 at checkout uh, for 20% off the cost of a license. So that's enough for me. Enjoy the rest of the podcast. Thank you for listening.
2: We'll move into our hot topic for today, which is uh, MPEG-I. So, Jürgen, would you please start by giving us a full overview and also just for context, how does it relate to the larger family of MPEG codecs, specifically MPEG-H?
3: Thank you, Monica. I think I'm starting from from the back end. So, um, how does it relate to the larger family of audio codecs? The family of MPEG audio codecs has undergone a kind of evolution over time in terms of efficiency, in terms of functionality. And so, for instance, um, I was mentioning MP3. That is one of the first generation of audio codecs. Um, Then we had ASC five years later. Next generation, then there were high-efficiency ASC and so on. At some point, we had a unified speech and audio coding which was designed as a very, very, very efficient audio codec, um, probably still one of the most efficient audio codecs you can think of. That was in 2012. And then uh, derived from that was MPEG-H. MPEG-H is um, not only focusing at ultimate efficiency, but there's also these functionalities, you know, that all the spatial audio concepts are for production of spatial audio are supported there. So you can have channel-based mixes from stereo all the way up to 22.2 channels. Uh, You can have objects with all the metadata that come with it and you can have also higher order ambisonics if you want. So it's a a huge kind of universal spatial audio codec with very high efficiency. Now, once um, MPEG-H was done, of course, uh, people in MPEG always look at what would be the next generation of audio technology want to develop. And so um, it was quite clear that um, virtual reality would be a next step in terms of spatial audio rendering. And there were two phases. Uh, One is a simple kind of virtual reality audio, and we call it... Or three degrees of freedom. So you stand inside a virtual audio scenery and you uh, can look, you cannot move away, but you can look to all directions. So you have those three degrees of freedom of your head where you can tilt your head and turn it and look upside down, pitch your role, you would uh, call it in the computer world. And um, so what you need to do is to rotate the, the soundscape accordingly, if you're thinking of a kind of headphone-based binaural kind of reproduction. Well, MPEG-H could already already do that. It has binaural rendering, it has um, the ability of rotating things, and so it was clear, well, the first phase of audio for virtual reality is already completed with MPEG-H. But then, of course, um, we want to do more. So if you're talking about six degrees of freedom, that means... You can also walk around in a totally virtual world, be it entirely virtual or augmented world. And that means um, all these degrees of freedom of turning your head and look up and down, left, right, and and tilt your head. But you can also walk around freely in that world. And that is a totally different paradigm. And that's where MPEG-I, the real MPEG-I development uh, starts because you essentially have to design... um, audio for a virtual world. And that is a big world if you look at it in detail because there's so many kind of uh, facets of physical and acoustic reality. So there's sources that you have that are not necessarily point sources, uh, but they have a size like an in- the body of an instrument, how it radiates. Um, they have radiation characteristics, Also, each music instrument mostly would have some kind of directivity like a trumpet in which it radiates sound. Or even my voice, if you would walk around me, it would sound different if you listen to it from the back of my head. And um, then there's other uh, properties like uh, if sound sources move fast, uh, you would have a Doppler effect. And then... um, then there's those other many effects about that come from the environment in which the sources live. So there's occlusion of sound, uh, there's diffraction of sound wrapping around the corners of occluding objects like walls. There's acoustics in acoustic environments and so on. So you get into that business of modeling the entire acoustic world uh, for a realistic and possible um, virtual reality audio. And that's what um I is is doing well Mpic I uh, is then the 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 successor project of mpeg h you, you could say the main business of the mpeg audio group mm-hmm. and um it started quite a few years ago um and uh, but the the, the the important most important point was probably that in 2021 um MPEG, after years of preparation work for to define um, how much uh, it should be able to do, what would be the framework, Be the exact requirements, uh, then they issued a call for proposals. And that was in April of 2021. And so what that means is essentially that there's a, a full free invitation for everyone who wants to participate in that open standardization to submit their technology proposals. And they would be competing against each other in a widespread and a large-scale listening test and subjective evaluation effort. So uh, people had to submit that in November 10 of 2021, and there was a lot of testing, and uh, we had um, 12 test sites worldwide, and at the end, in January of 2022, um, the best uh, system or the best systems uh, were selected, and they were the baseline um, for all everything else that came. And, and um, from that baseline, which I was lucky enough to contribute to quite heavily, things developed and there's more features that have been added since then. There's missing things that have been implemented and the work will progress at least until April of next year. And the final standard is expected for January 2025. So that's a big process, like all the MPIC processes. And, um, and essentially the architecture that is underlying there is that, that you have this um, encoder, which is an offline process. You have a compact bitstream that carries both waveforms and the new uh, defined scene metadata well, the, the waveforms uh, for all the sound sources, we just agreed on that mpeg would be reused. So there's an intimate relationship to MPEG-H and, uh, and also uh, quite a bit of uh, capability to import what people may have been producing for mpeg into the mpeg world. But then there's also the, the scene metadata, and that is, um, as I said, new developed, and there's a render process, and that is... For well, the first time, something in the in the MPEG, um, in the later MPEG history that people had delivered deliver their proposals in running in real time. So the renderer is running in real time. Uh, it has um, processes like the scene data structure update that run at a, what we call the control rate. Uh, that is block based. These are parameters that are constantly updated interactively. And it has uh, processes that run at the sample rate. That is, for instance, with 48 kHz. And um, the whole architecture is such that uh, you can imagine it as a kind of pipeline of processing um, kind of modules. If you look at that pipeline, you find things like, hey, I'm going to find out how many rooms are there, what are the reverberations, uh, the the acoustic uh, late reverberator characteristics that uh, I need to use there, Uh, what kind of portals are there between different rooms, how about early reflections, how about diffraction, occlusion, um, uh, and sources with extent, uh, sources with directivity, distance attenuation, equalization, and so on. And so so there's a lot uh, that is modeled in those stages that follow after each other and at the end, at the very end of the chain, there is output that is generated, and it could be either output uh, to um, binaural audio format, uh, that is binaural head-tracked audio, or it could be something, and that is quite special, even output to loudspeaker setups. So you can actually, with that kind of standard, um, for instance, you could walk around in uh, your living room have AR glasses on like the HoloLens and you could have virtual musicians uh, positioned in some of the chairs at your living room and use your um, home multi-channel setup to to have that. So there's no headphones required. And that's a quite uh, nice perspective.
2: Would you mind diving a little bit more into how you're solving the acoustics um, elements? Is that just a metadata file with all of those numbers? Or is there some that you're kind of like encoding based on whatever program people are using? How are those uh, acoustics being generated?
3: Well, um, there's a part of it which is, of course, can be pre-computed in the encoder. So for instance, you can figure out what is the RT60 uh, for for the room in different frequency bands. You can um, transmit that as parameters, but there's also many different components uh, which have to be calculated in real time. So for instance, you are in a kind of room, there's a source in a certain position, there are walls and obstacles and occluders of certain uh, materials and um, acoustic properties between you and and the source and you walk around it. So you have in real time to be able to compute all the uh, paths of propagation of sound, um, which are um, calculations where you can use libraries that you can, is usually uh, employed for ray tracing and other visual kind of Um, tracking of objects Um, so there's uh, GPU hardware that can support that, there's libraries for that and um, a lot of um, computation has to happen as I said in real time so you compute um, uh, geometric ways of propagation of reflections and for many of those you build local lookup and hash tables in, in the renderer to speed up the process as much as you can. While at the same time, it's still our goal that um, these things not only run on real-time on on big computers, but they should be able to run in low-complexity versions, even on mobile phones.
2: Well, very cool. So, yeah, I guess what motivated you and your colleagues to start developing this technology?
3: Well, as I said before, one uh, driving force was simply the extrapolation of mpeg as a universal spatial audio coder. But the other motivation is uh, is the following. If we are looking back at our history, then MP3 has gotten a huge uh, success worldwide. And, there's, and when I go somewhere, I can tell people, look, I think every one of you has a couple of pieces of technology that I created in your pocket, be it on a cell phone, Uh, or or your computers, or what have you. And uh, they all expect, of course, that uh, the files and the content that has been created play seamlessly on all these platforms, on all these players, and they would, moreover, also um, play seamlessly in five years or ten years from now. And uh, if I look now at what is going on in terms of virtual reality, which is certainly one of the uh, hot topics um, it has been... Uh, starting in in recent years, um, then I just don't see that yet. Uh, I see a lot of things that are developed here and there, but there's no no unification. I don't see that there's critical mass enough that there would be a large-scale interoperability or format stability uh, across the world. And that is exactly our aim. We try to make a VR content so stable and so accessible as mp3 files would be so everything of that should be able to be listened to in 10 years from now just like now and uh, and and that's that's a big goal but i think that is one of the primary virtues of standardization and that's why it pays off to have these open standardization processes where everyone can contribute and where really by means of rather strict formal processes the best technology is then picked out and uh, put into the standard. So that is the big goal. And you could say that in the end, if we're successful, uh, we're not, we will have the first um, worldwide standard for uh, VR and AR audio with long-term format stability.
2: Uh, and you mentioned with the acoustics, you're doing a lot of it in real time. That can be pretty heavy on the CPU or GPU, is that part of what the codec is solving? Um, or is there limitations to what type of hardware you have, what kinds of things you can do to generate those acoustics in real time?
3: Well, first of all, when we're talking about codec, we actually mostly mean we, we mean the coding of the waveform, sort of the MPEG-H part. So the other part I would call the rendering. It's there's scene description and scene description and a Binary compressed form, and there's the real-time renderer for that. And um, the, for rendering, there it actually turns out that there's numerous options um, of rendering um, uh, virtual reality audio. So you can do it sometimes in a in a simple way. So for instance, where you say, okay, um, I just know the re- RT60 of a room, sort of like um, re- decay curves of of diffuse sound. And that's enough for me to uh, render it fully parametrically. Maybe I do not even care about early reflections that much. Uh, But you also have options um, for being very high quality and doing all these calculations that you have. So not all of these calculations are mandatory. So you can strip off some of them and you get a variable trade-off in terms of complexity versus perceived quality and actually many of the very sophisticated um, operations will give you the last bit of uh, perceptual realism but if you do not have them you might save 20-30% of workload or even more. So there's um, this kind of situation is, is usual when you develop technology because there's always different options how you do that and And MPEG, usually that's addressed uh, such that you define different, we call it profiles and levels. So you say, okay, this one is supposed to run on a mobile phone. So it's a package of the uh, lower complexity uh, rendering strategies and uh, it could still be um, very much compatible with all the other renderers. So that is the way of approaching that.
1: You and your colleagues recently published the AAS paper MPEG-I immersive audio reference model for virtual augmented reality audio standard. Are there any interesting findings you could share along with the future development plans that you have to improve uh, the, the future iterations of this technology?
3: Well, um, there's always chances um, to improve um, an existing technology and MPEG-I is not even existing. It's just about to be born so to speak so it's in its breeding phase as I said although um, we've already reached a quite uh, high level of of learning curve Um, but there's always things to be improved and um, so just think of the many application scenarios uh, with client server based as opposed to something that is just done locally and there's other things uh, that you can do for instance um, if you think of huge virtual worlds uh, where you say you are in Las Vegas and you have thousands of rooms in a, in a hotel and you would like to model all of them. So that's a huge a bunch of data. And depending on where you are, you would usually want to load only that the part of the data um, that is relevant to where you are now. So there's dynamic loading and unloading and partitioning kind of strategies so all of that is something that could and should be added i'm not um, totally clear how much of that um, will end up in this version of the standard but then again uh, mpeg standards frequently or sometimes have decided to upgrade to phase two of development and most of them would then uh, piggyback on top of what is there and have some degree of um, compatibility but that's up to, uh, to MPEG to decide and uh, it's not decided yet.
1: With so much experience and expertise in our field uh, I'd love to ask your thoughts on what do you think is the immediate and perhaps more distant future of spatial audio look like?
3: Well um, initially uh, when we thought about uh, spatial audio for instance at Fraunhofer. we we saw uh, that there is uh, loudspeaker setups that were small, and they are getting larger and even larger. And it became soon clear that uh, nobody would have a twenty-two point two at his living room at home. So um, the development was such there that there is more um, consumer kind of uh, ways of consumer friendly ways of rendering it. So there's sound bars that came out that have intelligent ways of adapting to the room acoustics, that measure the those uh, propagation paths and room acoustics. There's head-tracked audio, binaural audio, and things like that. I think um this is probably the route where things will have most push in terms of um, technology, further development and deployment. But that's just my personal thinking and um, certainly it's a nice feeling if you would uh, say walk through the streets and have some kind of acoustically transparent um headphone and so you get augmented reality audio so to speak and um, that could be something that i would see as some of the facets where spatial audio could go
2: so, what is the best way to find out more about yourself and the work you do?
3: The easiest way is to go to our website. Uh, so, my main employment is um, at the International Audio Laboratories Erlangen, or in short, as we call Audio Labs. That is a joint institution of the Fraunhofer Institute for Integrated Circuits, IAS, and the Friedrich Alexander Universität Erlangen, called the FAU. Uh, where I'm a professor, so so the website is audiolabs-erlangen.de. So there you you find quite a bit of um, uh, background about the audiolabs and all our topics. I personally am very active within the Audio Engineering Society, the AES. So I'm uh, chair of the uh, technical committee of audio coding and vice chair of the AES technical council. So I've been publishing many of the papers inside AES. So if you go to the AES um, e-library and browse through that, you also see a lot um, of these things. And there's also um, on the website of the audio coding committee, there's a pointer to a very nice audio coding artifacts tutorial. We put a lot of effort within the TC to, to create a tutorial that allows you to learn about those different types of artifacts that could happen uh, at low bit rates with audio coders and you learn about the nature, you learn about how they sound and um, yeah, you can train your ears. So that's a very, very useful resource to the audio community for learning about these artifacts, uh, for getting an explanation of their theoretical background, uh, for having audio examples. There's uh, quite nice analysis of these uh, types of artifacts, spectrograms that can be talked interactively. So it's quite nice work. And I really like to um, bring that message out into the audio community because I feel it's just good stuff to learn for everyone interested. And that is freely available as of this year.
1: That's brilliant. We'll make sure to include all those links and resources in the podcast show notes. Our last question, what piece of advice could you give to anybody that helped you in your career?
3: What happened to me is not a given thing. It's not that everyone can be uh, or ends up being a co-developer of MP3 and I find myself deeply thankful for that kind of opportunity. But the what is important in hindsight uh, are the conditions under which these kind of things can happen. So whenever someone uh, would like to pursue a kind of career in audio or is starting getting into audio and maybe they are looking for a kind of employment and, and um, have several options for going here or there or there, I think the most important and most essential component is that they would look for a kind of employment that, that provokes and supports being creative that um, provides an environment of a collaborative spirit for working and for team working uh, as opposed to competing with your colleagues. So it's all about teamwork and complementing each other and adding the motivations and the brightness of different people in order to achieve something big. And that is Really what I want to recommend to anyone who wants to start things in, in their young career.
1: That's awesome. Very profound and very appropriate for our last episode of 2023. Jorgen, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for talking to us today.
3: Thank you so much, Oliver and Monica. My pleasure as well.
1: This is our last episode in 2023. It's been an incredible year, and we hope that next year is even more exciting. As always, we would like to thank all of our listeners and partners for the continued support.
2: We wish you a great holiday season and a happy new year. We look forward to sharing more podcasts with you all in January 2024. Until
0: then.
1: Until then. See you soon.
0: If you enjoy the podcast and would like to show your support, please consider becoming a Patreon. Not only are you supporting us, but you will also get special access to bonus content and much more. Find out more on our official Patreon page, www.patreon.com slash immersive audio podcast. You've been listening to the Immersive Audio Podcast, hosted by Oliver Cadell and Monica Bowles. This episode was produced by Oliver Cadell and Emma Reese and included music by Rhythm Scott Got an idea for an episode or want to comment on something we've discussed recently? Drop us an email at podcast at 1618digital.com or find us on Twitter at iAudioPodcast. If you've enjoyed our show, head to our page on iTunes and leave us a review and rating. It really helps us out. Visit immersiveaudiopodcast.com to access show notes and other episodes and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening.
2: Looking for more audio-related podcasts to listen to? We're part of the Audio Podcast Alliance, featuring a hand-picked selection of the very best podcasts about sound. Be sure to hear the latest episodes from our friends in the community at audiopodcast.org.